Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And I'm Brian Colbert Kennedy. And this is episode 38. Hey, Brian. Yeah. Today's question, Mm -hmm. what do you think? What's harder, building clean power plants or playing in a reputable cover band? The way you've uh, made that sentence was so interesting. What's harder, building clean power plants? (laughs) I bet it's harder to build clean power plants. I don't fucking know, man. Who knows, though? Were you I can't ever, play did you ever play music? No. Uh, trumpet no. in fourth grade. <laughs> so, no. Uh, our trumpet guest, in fourth grade. Okay. Is anyway. that music? Uh, our guest is candidate Sean Caston of the 6th District in Illinois. Whoop, whoop. Yep. Uh, more on that whoop, whoop in just a second. <laughs> uh, Sean's running against incumbent Skeletor. Uh, oh, oh, I... Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Uh, Republican Peter Roskam. That's right. Uh, who called climate science junk science. And uh, mm. on just that and a number of other reasons, it's absolutely necessary we help put this gentleman into office. Uh, that means you, listeners. He's got like 40 science degrees. So many. Uh, and has built profitable clean energy. And uh, we're going to dig into all the reasons why he would be a massively influential part of the next Congress, Brian. This is another conversation in partnership with 314 Action. How do yes. you feel like those are going? It's been so awesome. Right? That's, so, that's just incredible that we get to have all them on here and, and, and all the listeners get to hear, hear what they have to say because they're repped by, they're backed, supported right. by a pretty great organization. Yeah. After a year, people march in the streets and going, we need more science. We believe in science. Yes. Yeah, yeah. These are the people that are going right, to go make the decisions. <laughs> so anyways, 314 Action, if we don't remember, uh, is a group formed to help put STEM candidates in office on November 6th. You can check out our previous episodes with founder Shaughnessy Naughton, mm-hmm. uh, Texas candidate Joseph Kopser, mm-hmm. and Pennsylvania candidate Chrissy Houlihan right in your podcast player of choice. And we've got even more coming before whew, November 6th. Yeah, um, the big date. Brian, to recap uh, these shorter intros uh, and the whole point of this, the intent of our podcast was, and as I sold it to you, uh, <laughs> remains to host evergreen conversations about specific existentialist questions or topics affecting everyone now or in the very near future. Uh, and building those conversations, not interviews. Right. Uh, it is two parts. Uh, we're standing in for the people, for our listeners. We hope that uh, we can engage back and forth with these folks. They can educate us and we can talk about things. I really aim to a back and forth. Uh, but working towards specific action steps everyone can help take to save or advance the species or the planet. Right? Correct. Right. So we're sticking to that, but... These candidate conversations are a little different, obviously, both in timing and in impact, hopefully. Uh, so on that note, how are you feeling about November 6th? Um, We're like 38 days away. Yeah. Listen, man. Short answer. One sentence. You got to be hopeful. You can't not have uh, hope. Uh, but, you know, I, part of me is just like, well, I, we're just going to fucking see. The history shows some sh- some not great turnout when it comes to not at all these situations yeah so i'm so i will forever be worried about that until uh it changes but man being in the position we're in and talking to these people uh and getting to hear them um uh is is i mean it it, i can't help but be fucking excited and hope that everybody who listens to these 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 men and women are are as uh excited and want to maybe if they never have before just Mm -hmm. fucking go right go vote and so, why, so, Brian, yeah. before we dive in here, why is this one important to you? Well, Sean's uh, pretty special because uh, Sean is running in a district that my fucking hometown is in. This is your hometown district? Yeah. Straight this up. Is, like, if I lived in Illinois still, where I grew up, Sean's this, your guy. this is my guy. 
Fucking rock and roll. Let's yeah, go pretty, talk to Yeah, pretty rad. Awesome. Our guest today is Sean Caston, and together we're going to ask questions like, what's harder, uh, building clean power plants or playing in a quote-unquote reputable cover band, as per Sean's website? Sean, welcome. <laughs> How are you guys? That's going to be a hard intro to follow up on, but yeah, lovely hold, to be here. Hold the phone. Yeah, first of all, <laughs> very glad to have you here, and are you in a reputable cover band, sir? I have never used the word reputable. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> we, we have the ability to play a four-hour set, and as uh-huh. our guitarist says it, we got a really solid hour. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Incredible. I love it. Honesty is really the best policy. You don't want to raise people's expectations too high. Yes. I love awesome. it. Awesome. Um, uh, Sean, uh, tell us uh, real quick who you are and what you do, sir. Uh, so, I am the Democratic nominee for Congress in the 6th Congressional District, Western suburbs of Chicago, formerly Henry Hyde's district, if that means anything to people, currently held by Peter Roskam, who is sort of Paleolithic. Um, <laughs> Very generous way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, it's a district that Hillary Clinton won by seven points, and he's essentially a, a rubber stamp for Trump, if you look at his voting record. So that's mm-hmm. that's sort of the theory of the case here. I have not only never held public office before, but never even ran for student government. It was really never in the list of things I was considering. Mm-hmm. I spent essentially the last 20 years trying to do something about climate change. I started as a biochemist, biochemical engineer, worked on biofuels research, worked on engineering of fuel cells, batteries, some early hybrid electric vehicle stuff, and got the entrepreneurial bug back in 2000, I guess. Started a couple companies with missions to profitably reduce greenhouse gas emissions. We built a couple companies, built 80 or so clean energy projects. Every single one of them used really old, really unsexy technology. Mm-hmm. And every single one of them was at least twice as fuel efficient as the U.S. power grid. Saved a lot of money, made a decent return on investment. Sold it in September 2016 and was trying to figure out what to do next. I don't know how to get a real job at this point because I've, <laughs> I haven't had a job that existed in a company I didn't create. So I knew I was going to do something entrepreneurial and then Trump happened. And then that happened. It's a common thread we've been hearing. Trump yep. happened and then, oh, I uh, now I feel the, the urge to uh, do something about it. So we Pretty don't. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting. We don't usually actually we don't do the whole uh, spend the whole conversation talking about someone's life story, but it's going to be a point of context today when we dig back in in just yeah. a sec here. Um, yeah. So, so let's get our conversation going. Um, Sean, our, our main goal here is to uh, have a great conversation with you, ask you some questions, and then by the end of this thing, have some uh, very actionable steps that our listeners can take to uh, help support you uh, uh, and uh, make a little uh, dent in the world uh, because the world is, um, it seems fucked. <laughs> In some ways. <laughs> so if that sounds okay with you, we'd love to, uh, we'd love to do that. So Sean, we start with one important question, uh, something that sets the tone. Uh, instead of, like I said, tell us your life story, we like to ask, Sean, why are you vital to the survival of the species? <laughs> well, well, because I make this thing called DNA. Uh-huh. <laughs> and our species, if, if I don't propagate it, uh-huh. we might not make it. Yeah, Did you have that, a more specific. No, that 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 about is, is is quite as literal and technical as it gets. Uh, it's funny we've had an interesting discussion uh, the, uh, for a number of episodes on how uh, 
gentlemen wearing briefs are apparently cutting way down on sperm count yeah. uh, in, across the world. And, it's and, the unspoken killer. Yeah, <laughs> it's not good. So that DNA, we got to keep that going. Good. <laughs> so listen, this is actually where we usually do a segment on setting up the context for today's chat, which could be super wonky or it could be policy-based or it could be education-based. But I know we're tight on time, so I'm going to give just some quick background on why you are a, a beacon of light of sorts mm-hmm. for our listeners and then we can have a conversation about why context matters. Uh, it'll be super meta. So as you alluded to, you've got an undergraduate degree in molecular biology and biochemistry and a master's master degrees in engineering management and biochemical engineering. Now, it's not that I don't know what all those are, obviously, uh, but what, what what is that? What did you say? Uh, you want biochemical engineering? Could you take could you just spend a line uh, telling us what exactly biochemical engineering is? So. I did a I did a dual degree program at Dartmouth that was basically I applied to an MS MBA program. The business school didn't accept me, so I got into the engineering school. And they turned out they had a joint degree with the business school, so I did that one as well. So the sure. the engineering not? management was a half of an MBA and a bunch of engineering classes. the The other piece was I really wanted to do something around climate change and around trying to advance technology. And so what I was specifically doing was trying to figure out how to convert wood chips into ethanol. In other words, mm-hmm. how to transition away from gasoline with biofuels and do it in a way that doesn't depend on corn and food crops as a feedstock. Wow. So I ran reactors. I coaxed bacteria into cooperating. I cursed a lot when they didn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And tr- truthfully, the degrees biochemical engineering – Chemical engineering, at least at the time I was getting it, is engineering because you can analyze it, you can predict things, and it basically works the way it's supposed to. Bioengineering is closer to basic science. Interesting. Interesting. Um, Just because the systems are complicated and not as well understood. Thank you. That's what I was going to say, too, if somebody had asked me the same thing. (laughs) But it's... Okay. Want to clarify. <laughs> so uh, again, kind of going through things, and there's a point to this. You worked for a couple of years as a scientist at the Tufts School of Medicine, investigating dietary impacts on colon and breast cancer. You worked as a consultant in clean energy. Like you said, you've started a bunch of uh, efficient power companies. Um, you worked to profitably reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, and I think what's most important to me here, though, is is throughout your education and your entrepreneurship and business life, you have gained what I assume is the ability to like you just did with your explanation of biochemical engineering to bring context to some of the most vital conversations pressing on our species in our planet right now. And it seems like if we've realized anything at all over the past few years, whether it's clean energy or the blockchain or cryptocurrencies or Facebook, before we can even get to whether a large section of our elected officials are inherently evil people (laughs) or completely paid off in an overwhelmingly obvious number of cases, they simply have no fucking idea what they're talking about. So that's why you and so many of the other folks supported by 314 Action do and can not only use that to inform your own vote and how you talk to your constituents or people like Brian, uh, but hopefully set an example and literally teach your new colleagues what this new world looks like. And that's why I feel like folks like you are so vital and going to make such a big difference. Am I off track there? You know, I've never characterized it that way, but as I'm sitting here thinking about it, it's an, I, I think I sort of agree and sort of don't agree. 
Awesome. Hit me. I would I would submit to you that there are some issues where the voters and elected officials are pretty well educated. Mm-hmm. But there's this weird dynamic. I forget who was the guy. It's like the nerdy statistics writer. He did this thing about how you frame questions and forms people's knowledge. Nate Silver. So if you ask people how many people get shot every year in Michigan, the average mm-hmm. person says like, oh, I don't know, 100. Mm-hmm. Then if you say how many people every year get shot in Detroit, people say yeah, probably 1,000. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. You know, right. Sort of framing and context matters, right? Sure. And it's always struck me that if you ask the average politician, the average voter, what do you think of U.S. foreign policy? Mm-hmm. You get kind of blank stares. If you say, what do you think about the situation in North Korea? What do you think about the Israeli-Palestinian crisis? Mm-hmm. You have, I'm not saying that everybody's a genius, but they're much more informed and they have opinions on it. With respect to climate and energy, the ignorance number is higher. Yes. But I think a, a big part of it is a framing, because if you say to people, what do you think about U.S. climate policy? Mm-hmm. You get into some dumb conversation about polar bears. And don't get me wrong, I love polar bears. Sure. But it's it's totally out of context, right? Sure. If, on the other hand, and I'm going to make this non-political, but talk about where I actually have experience, we set out to lower greenhouse gas emissions because I think it's imperative that we do so. Mm-hmm. If you're going to run a business doing that, there's no real value in in saying to your sales force, you can't sell something until you convince someone of the merits of our mission. So you got to translate in language that they understand, right? Sure. So sure. if we can lower CO2 emissions by saving fuel, because here's the thing that's not that complicated. You can't increase CO2 emissions of the planet without burning fossil fuel and nobody gives fuel away for free. Ergo. You can't reduce CO2 meaningfully without saving money. So even if you have a full, beautiful collection of tinfoil hats at home, <laughs> but you are greedy, we can communicate on terms that matter of we want to invest in your physical plant. We want to create jobs. We want to increase your asset values. We want to save energy values. We want to reduce your exposure to, to volatile natural gas markets, whatever. Now you're in terms that people can understand. Sure. And all of those things are benefits we will get as a society once we really make a commitment to doing something about climate change. And if you ask people about those subtext issues, which all flow from doing something about climate change, people have opinions. Sure. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, we've actually, I love that answer. We've talked to a lot of folks that we would probably disagree with on nine out of 10 things, whether they're uh, uh, reverends. Or, uh, or folks um, from from the other side of the aisle, as they say. But you know, we, we try to meet them uh, on big topics like this, whether it's cancer or antibiotics or or climate change or clean energy, because a lot of times, uh, you know, we've discovered that the messenger is more important than the message, uh, and that because that messenger can either understand or or even identify with or has the same values as these people. So that you discover that that is actually where you need to meet them and where you can make the argument for things like, like you said, clean energy. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're right in a politics context. The only thing I challenge you on is that in, in other areas of endeavor, you don't have the conversation about we could get this done if only we could have another Obama or another Martin Luther King. Right. right? I think the challenge, at least that I'm finding in, as I jump into this endeavor, is that 
you have one political party in the country, which shall remain nameless, that has a vested interest in uneducated voters. Sure. I mean, Fox News exists to make people stupid. Sure. And so you've created this thing where you need messengers who can articulate and everybody beats up on Democrats of, you know, why are you so wonky and in the weeds? Why can't you be more like Trump instead of like Hillary? Mm -hmm. But that doesn't appeal to people who actually, you know, live in in this universe. Sure. And I don't, I don't know that I have any answer to that, right? But I, I think it's worth mentioning that 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 search for a charismatic leader is only in a political environment. Does it make sense? Mm-hmm. And we ought to talk about why that is. I don't know why, but I think we should assume it's it's a requirement. It is fascinating, isn't it? It is one of the very few sectors where that seems, if if not the only one, where that seems to. Um... Well, that seems to apply. Fascinating. I love it. I'm going to chew on that for a while. Uh, so all of that said, with with everything you've worked for and watching it be completely dismantled over the past year and in the in the past, what was the specific moment where you basically said, "Fuck it, that's it. I'm I'm running myself." The, you know, the it's of course a series of things, but the the point that really put me over the top. My personal belief, certainly for me, and I think this is true for a lot of people, you have the thing you want to do with your life, and then you have the tools that are available to you at various points in your life. Mm-hmm. Some people look like job hoppers, but they're always pursuing the North Star. Some people are legitimately job hoppers. Mm-hmm. But in my case, the North Star has never moved. There was a move from science to engineering. There was a move from engineering to business. And then we'd sold our company, sitting there trying to figure out what to do next. As we said, Trump happened. And I was talking with my friend, Katie McGinty, who had been the, she was the chairwoman of the Council of Environmental Quality in the Clinton White House, later Secretary of Environment Pennsylvania, has done all sorts of neat things in her career. And we were chatting about what to do next. And she said to me, said, I would never encourage anybody to run for public office, but I'll make two observations for you to know on. Number one, if you have something you want to accomplish in your life. There is no neater job than being a member of Congress because the levers you can pull are so big and the effects you can make are so huge. Mm -hmm. And she knew me well enough to know what I want to accomplish. Sure. And she said, the reason I don't encourage anybody is because if you want credit in this life for what you accomplish, there is no worse job than being a member of Congress. (laughs) Right. And she meant it seriously. (laughs) Sure. Sure. So she said, you know, think about it. And we sort of sat there and said, I don't. I don't need a statue built to me. Sure. Brian will build one, this to be clear. Matters. Should this oh, all well, work out? Well, I've been getting into statue building. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So, so you know, now you now you are running uh, after never having even ran for treasurer of the yearbook club or whatever in high school. And now you're mm-hmm. running for Congress. What are your uh, your biggest strengths? What are you bringing? To, what are you bringing to the table? Desperately handsome. <laughs> Check. There's and there is a, a severe lack of that. So I, um, so I should run. I should also be running. No, 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 oh, no, 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 no. Don't sure. read into this. Sorry, sorry. And passable sea blues on the piano. <laughs> um, no, I think there's things that mean a lot to me. What keeps it? It's sort of what we were talking about before. Things that are entirely non-exceptional outside of politics become these huge applause lines out on the stump. Mm-hmm. And maybe that says something unique about me. I think it probably says something more about politics. 
But if you come from a scientific background or a business background or some combination of the two, as I do, you develop a discipline very early in life to never make decisions based on anything other than facts Mm -hmm. and then deal with the political fallout. Mm hmm. Right, whether that's you can't make payroll, whether that's you can't sure. get enough financing closed in time, maybe sure. a positive news as well, but you you deal with it. So much of the political realm does that up op- the opposite way. Right? We make decisions based on politics and then leave voters to deal with the factual fallout. Right. Witness the Kyoto Accord, witness breaking the ACA. Sure. And so that's number one. Number two, if you have spent as much time as I have negotiating long-term contracts where you're going to be engaged with your counterparty for decades, you never get a deal done. If you walk in by saying the only way I can succeed is if you lose, you, you've got to have a win-win approach to negotiation. And that also seems exceptional in politics, but it shouldn't. You know, the idea of not pursuing zero sum. Mm-hmm. And if, if that makes me unique, it's certainly the only way I know how to think about problems. But I, I think that's the thing I can offer that is not different from every member of Congress, but on average is pretty darn different. I would just just using first principles uh, to create and instigate uh, and nourish long term thinking and planning feels pretty fucking unique at this point. <laughs> Um, whatever you want to apply to, again, from clean energy to the ACA to civil rights to immigration, um, you know. Uh, okay. And how about your uh, how about your biggest weaknesses? Yeah. What What do you feel are is you going to have to bone up on before January? So the thing that scares me most is that I have been nothing but a CEO for sixteen years. Mm-hmm. And I'm basically applying for a job to be a middle manager in a large bureaucracy. <laughs> yeah. And and I, and I don't mean that in any kind of a jokey way. Right. Learning how to, as a, a, I have a friend who described her, described me as an entrepreneur and she described herself as an intrapreneur. Mm. So that was a good characterization. She said, I've learned sure. how to make changes inside an organization, but I don't have the skills to create and lead an organization. And she's really good at that, to be clear. And I'll have to learn that. Yeah, that's a, that, that is a hard one. Well, good news is I, I feel like that is learnable, uh, yeah. especially if you have a a a sense of self awareness uh, about that. So that's, I mean, there there are coaches and and people and mentors that you, that you can certainly learn from. And it seems like you like learning because you've. 500 degrees like Brian. Yeah. And and I sort of get the sense that the Congress is probably going to be pretty good at beating down whatever inflated ego I have within sure. 30 or 40 minutes of my arrival. <laughs> Seems like they do a great job of that. Yeah. Uh, so if, if I'm one of your constituents, how, and, uh, and, and this is a special one because Brian's actually from Chi town. So. I grew up in Westmont, Sean, your name. Oh, there you go. That was our company was uh, headquartered on Pasquinelli drive oh. just off 83 in Westmont. I'm very familiar. So if I'm one of your constituents, uh, or I'm Brian, how am I selling you to my friends against uh, Mr. Roscom? Where does uh, clean energy come into play, et cetera, et cetera? Well, his litany of horrors, it sort of depends on where you sit. But certainly being a check on the president in a district that desperately doesn't like the president and desperately wants the Congress to act like a check and balance Mm -hmm. is pretty good. 
having a background that is that is scientific in a district that sits kind of between Argonne National Lab and Fernie National Lab, mm-hmm. that's a pretty big difference against the current incumbent who says that climate change is junk science and voted to gut the EPA Science Advisory Board. Having experience building and running companies where we created value, created wealth, and provided healthcare for all our employees is a pretty sharp contrast against somebody who created a tax bill that drove revenues below expenses in a very Trumpian business style and voted to take away health care from 30,000 of his constituents. And I could go on and on down the greatest Ugh. hits list. <laughs> yeah. But uh, those are probably the big headlines. I think that uh, that feels sellable. <laughs> <laughs> I'd buy it. So one of our one of our goals here um, is to uh, shine a light on where you, you know we need to as a people uh, go. So you know what are, what are the big and actionable questions that we uh, need to be asking um, our our representatives wherever we are. I have friends that live in Downers Grove. What do you want them to ask you? That's a good question. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I guess the first one is sort of more more for earlier stage in the process, because this hasn't come up recently, but when we were in the primary, one of the many forums we had, one of the the guy who was organizing it called all of us candidates. I presume he called all of us. I can't imagine he called me, but he, hmm. he called me up and he said, what, what questions have not been asked in other forums that we should ask you now? And I said to him, seriously, ask us about ag policy. This hmm. is a suburban district. Yeah, I have sure. a backyard tomato patch, but it's not an egg. And he said, that doesn't really matter the district. And I said, I know, but any member of Congress has to vote on a hundred things and can't possibly be an expert in more than three. Mm -hmm. So find out how people think, treat this like a job interview where instead of asking somebody, you know, what are you good at? Say, tell me how you'd solve a problem. Right. Right. Oh, that's so critical. Anybody can say, you know, are you a good baseball player? Yeah, I played second base in college. Sure. It's a little bit of a different (laughs) question. If you say two outs, bottom of the eighth, you're on deck, you're down by one, you're playing second base, there's a power hitter up, you got a lefty pitcher, man on first, where are you you shading the runner? To be clear, I would have a whole other podcast with you just about that question. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know the answer to that question, to be clear. Well, you can only know so many things, Sean. (laughs) Yeah, you just different. said it yourself. <laughs> no, but you know, like, I think, like, asking people how they think. I think that's a and great what attitude. their values I mean, are. So many of these issues, while they feel overwhelming and international and connected, and they are, like climate change and clean energy and or, or, uh, or cancer, any of this stuff, so many of the effects that we can see and feel and, and breathe are local. And, and it's, that's a great point of instead of saying, Hey, Hey, do you support the clean power plan going to your representative and saying, how are you going to fix how our air is rated or how our water yeah, is right. rated in our district? And because yeah. that's not like a yes or no question. And that's not like you can't get a political that is show me your fucking math right. on what I you're going to do. There's a there's a handful of things that and you see politicians do it and it's it's so effective and it's so lazy. If you say to somebody, How, "What do you think about X?" and they say, "Well, I want to talk to my constituents and decide," what they're basically saying is, "I don't want to answer the question," right? Because 
the reality is you're going to vote on a bill at 1130 at night. Page 300 is going to have a provision that conflicts with something you promised to do, but page 275 is good. Where are your values? Yep. To my mind, I would rather us ask our politicians, tell me what your values are. Tell me how you'll vote. And I, as the voter, will decide whether or not you reflect my values. But I'm not going to pretend that you're actually going to call me every time a vote comes up. Right. Sure. You know, and there's so many other things like that. Like, as Bill Foster said to me when, when I was first getting started, he said, you know, religion is what politicians talk about when they don't want to talk about ethics. <laughs> so every so time worse. a politician talks about their religion, in my dream, people like you say, shut up. Uh, sure. I didn't ask you about which God you believed in. Right. I asked you about your ethics. Right. Right, right. And as a pagan atheist, uh, religious studies major, I can tell you that uh, you can have ethics without talking about religion. Yeah, fuck yeah, exactly. you can. You can, yep. you can want people to breathe clean air and have uh, kids to have good education and <sighs> universal preschool and not be, not make the poorest among us the sickest uh, without yeah. having to go to church on Sundays. Not that there's no, anything remember, wrong with remember that. that great Ricky, remember that great Ricky Gervais line when he said, he said, you know, whatever religion you have, you and I both agree that 10,000 of all the gods that humanity has ever invented are totally insane and crazy. <laughs> yeah. Let's not focus on the one where we might have some disagreement. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, God, it's so true. He's good. Sean, how can we how can we support your vision? I feel like we could talk to you all day, but I know it's tight. Yeah. So I want to get into those specifics of of how, how can we how can our listeners, our army of folks really get in and support you over the next Jesus, like 38 days or whatever the hell it is. Well, well, now that I know you're a sculptor, I'm, I'm thinking there's a spot on the on the National Mall that, you know, yeah. we could probably pull aside now and okay. build a monument to me. We'll just Great. send Brian there with a shovel. I'm on get, it. Yeah. definitely won't get I'm arrested. I'm drawing up plans right now. All right. So it, in the next 40 days, if people are in the district and have the time and willingness to help out, so much of this race comes down to volunteers. And I'll mm -hmm. give you guys some optimism. There are an amazing number of people who are stepping up right now. It's awesome. You know, we I think last week we either knocked on doors or made phone calls to 50,000 people in the district. Whoa. In one week. How many people in your district? Well, it's like every district. They're all 738,000 or right, something like that. Right. Um, but That's it's amazing. just this amazing volunteer energy. And we need more of it because... You know, we're up against people who've got a lot of money and no ethics. Yep. Yep. So if people want to sign up and volunteer, castinforcongress.com backslash volunteer. Okay. If you're local, you can come out and knock doors. If you're not local, you can phone bank. And if you are not local, mute, but wealthy, or you're just feeling generous anyway, you can, of course, donate as well. Um, and that's on the website. And that's how we make sure we stay on TV and do all the things we got to do to actually get this message out. I will awesome. make sure my friends and family in your district know. Absolutely. That they, we're gonna, that they can help. We're going to get Brian over there. I'm, I'm sending hand <laughs> signals to him. We've been doing our share of phone banking, Lord. Uh, we, we need to get him, send Brian back home here. Listen, we're getting close to time here. I don't know if you have uh, time for a quick lightning round or not, or if you need to get out of here, if you want to. Go right, go right ahead. Keep it fun. All right. All right. Um, so listen, these are sort of the last few questions we ask everybody. Brian says it's not a lightning round. I disagree. It's not. You just wait till you hear these questions, John. <laughs> okay. When was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? I'm going to go with meaningful. Okay. I mean, change is probably like when you're two years old and you realize you can throw something at the floor and make people angry. <laughs> 
I still do that. Is that weird? Sure. <laughs> you are a change agent. <laughs> Summer after my junior year of high school, I got this idea in my head. I want to ride my bike across the country and I did it. So I did it with some friends. Wow. And it was just kind of one of these cool things where you you think you have potential, your parents tell you you're capable of things, and then you go do something cool like that. And all of a sudden it expands the ceiling of what you think is possible. Sure. I talk, my, my children are very young and there's so many of them. And we talk a lot about things like that, you know, becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable. And, and uh, my kid told me today, as we were walking to school, he, he would prefer a scooter with three wheels instead of two because yeah. it was easier. And I said, well, you've spent the past few weeks mastering the the harder one. And doesn't that feel better? And he just scootered away. He didn't actually answer my question because I don't think <laughs> yeah. he gives a shit or he wasn't listening at all. But the point Someday is... he will build a statue to you. <laughs> I don't want to see that statue. It's not going to be pretty. <laughs> Sean, who is someone in your life that's positively impacted your work in the past six months? So I'm going to go with Bill Foster again, who's the congressman from the district to the south. Okay. He's just a wonderfully wise and kind man. And he called me up the day after the primary win. We had a crowded primary and, you, you know, everybody kind of knew this was going to be a, a race that was going to get attention. But with seven people, that's sort of theoretical. Sure. And he called me up the day after and he first said, I'll, I got a deal for you. I'm going to be the guy who tells you things that nobody else will tell you. Helpful. And he's kept true to his word and been just a great mentor. But then his second piece of advice for me was he said, you don't realize this yet, but you have just become the vessel for a lot of people's dreams. And keep in mind, in the upcoming weeks, when you walk on stages and you see hordes of people cheering and waving their name on signs, that they are not cheering for the vessel. That's really interesting. And if we, if we could take 10 seconds to talk about that, you know, I think that was what inspired a lot of folks with Obama in a number of ways is, is he was emblematic of a thousand different dreams and things people had been hoping for. Everyone sort of cast their hopes onto them. And I think that uh, certainly a lot of people had those fulfilled a lot. Some people saw those specific dreams disappointed because a man cannot do all of the things or is going to do things you disagree with, especially if your expectations are high. So I'm curious how you, how you're dealing with that. Well, I, I guess Look, to be honest, Trump is a vessel for a lot of people's dreams, too, yeah, right? Sure. Um, my nightmares, but some people's dreams. <sighs> I, I think the, the reason that I mentioned Bill's point is that it's been so helpful because you, setting aside the, the policy differences between Obama and Trump, which is, a, of course, a hard thing to set aside, <laughs> you always get the sense with Obama that he had a fundamental humility, that he understood that he was just the vessel. Mm-hmm. You none of that from Trump, right? Sure, not even. Um, and you know that's the thing. Like you have to compartmentalize. I I joke with my wife that as I've become this vessel and people cheer and you see your face on television, I now understand why Kanye talks about himself in the third person. I was going to say, quick question: How often do you, you know, tell your wife and refer to yourself as the vessel for the people? Because I imagine that doesn't go so well. I'm no, just the but vessel. I will, but I will tell you, I have slipped up where, you know, I'll be talking to somebody and I'll refer to Sean Caston. And then uh, I realize, like, that sounds wow. so freaking weird. Slippery slope. But I'm not talking about me. I'm talking sure. about right. the sort of product that exists out there that people have some degree of intimacy and familiarity with. Mm-hmm. But it's, it, 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 it is a separate person. 
Sure. I hope that that's the situation with Kanye and he's not just the biggest e- egomaniac in the world. Uh, second to Trump. <laughs> <laughs> you realize you just lost the, your Kanye viewership or listenership. <laughs> Fine, uh, Sean. What do you what do you do when you feel overwhelmed by all of this? All of this many things. What do you specifically? How, how, what do you? What's your self care? That sound weird. I don't get overwhelmed very easily. I had an old employee who used to refer to me as underdamped. He was a an engineer, so that meant something. But I I don't celebrate too hard. I don't get depressed too hard. I will say that you know, we you know we joked at the start about me paying in a in a moderately reputable bar band. <laughs> there you go. I think everybody needs a creative itch, you know. And yep. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not Doctor John on the piano by any stretch, but I'm good enough that I can sit down and whatever sort of emotion is there, kind of work it out. And mm-hmm. sometimes it goes to weird places. Sometimes it sounds like crap, but it's. It's a way to activate that other part of your brain and shut down another one. Right. Sure. Sure. I, I think that's great. Uh, Dr. John, great reference. Uh, Tipitina. Oh, sorry. Tra-la-la. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, just a couple more real quick. Um, how, do, how do you consume the news? Twitter. Check. That was very lightning hey, roundish. Yep, I like that. There you go, Brian. Uh, everything my, my, great adv- my advice to people on Twitter, follow journalists. Don't follow anybody else. Yeah. And unfollow the ones who become polemical because they make you stupid. But if you do that, you can see news happening in real time. Yeah. Um, good advice. Uh, all right. If you, Sean, could Amazon Prime one book to President Trump, what would that book be? Because a coloring book. Pick your favorite coloring book. So to be clear, we have an Amazon wish list What's full of point? all of our guests' recommendations, and folks go there and they can click on it, and it gets sent right to the White House. So, oh really? Uh, whatever your recommendation, we have had quite a wide oh, variety. Yeah. What was what was the one about the? Uh, he's probably got this already. The one about the gay bunny named Mike Pence. It was a coloring book. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? What? Hold the fucking phone. What? Woo! Yeah, go check it out on Google. Somebody made a thing to troll Pence where it was a gay oh, was bunny named Mike Pence. Oh, yeah, it might have been. Yeah, I, but it is a coloring book, so it's right at Trump's level. Sure, sure. We're you adding know, it to the list. Keep him busy for a there. little bit. Like, wake up and do that. You know, everybody's happier. They just wake up and do a coloring book for a little bit. Oh, my God. This is great. <clears throat> All right, Sean. That's amazing. Oh, oh, oh hang on. Marlon, Marlon Bundo? Is that the name? <laughs> I think that's what Okay, we're going to find it. It's a, It's a... Uh, it's a classic of American literature. Uh, that's amazing. A box of 64 Crayolas and Boom, this whole it. thing is solved. Yeah. You know, clean air, <laughs> clean power. We plans. should include a box of crayons with it. For we him. should. Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll package those together. Sean, uh, we're going to let you go here. How would you like to use this podcast as if you don't have a microphone already to one last time to sort of speak truth to power? Any, anything you want to say to our listeners here? Here's my wish and your listeners can't do this, but this is just a wish for the country. I've long believed in the principle of noblesse oblige to, you know, to he who much is given much is expected. Mm-hmm. If you are a politician or aspiring politician or some sort of a public figure, what you have been given much of is a public pulpit. Mm-hmm. And there are things in this world right now that desperately need to be said, and they desperately need to be said by people from public pulpits and you can see every time people say them, the, the wingnut fringe coming back to slap them down. 
you know, I made a comment a while ago. I'm not asking for sympathy, mm-hmm. but I, I said, you know, there's a problem that there's Nazis in the White House. That put me mm-hmm. on Tucker Carlson. Oh, boy. Of, you know, how, how well un-American to suggest there's Nazis in the White House. And I'm saying there's fucking Nazis in the White House. There's fucking yeah. Nazis in the White right? House. And I don't, I'm not, I don't think your viewers can necessarily solve that. But to be aware that there is this tension between the authenticity that we also desperately want and the way that we expect people who have public pulpits to communicate within a much narrower band of honesty than we're comfortable with. And we, you know, we need to lead people into discomfort when it's true, especially in these times. And I'm trying to figure out a way to do it. I'm not so naive as to think there are times when that's not politically wise. But I think we could use more people who are willing to stand up and say, screw the politics. We need to talk about the fact that there's a misogynist, racist demagogue in the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully talk about some other things that are not so depressing as well. Right. <laughs> but talk about that and recognize that just because that passes historic lines of civility doesn't mean it's not true and doesn't mean it doesn't have to be said. I, I love that. I, I I think that's so vital. And you're right. It, it can't be uh, every day there's Nazis in the White House. There's amazing stuff happening. Right, and, right. and there's constructive, optimistic, progressive things we can be doing to fight our fight. Um, but but establishing that baseline and, and having people who are willing to come out there and, and especially not just uh, uh, random people on Twitter like Brian come out and say that, yeah. but people with the, the pulpit to come out and, and say that and stick by it. Um, even if they're on the show with the fucking bow ties, uh, (laughs) did you, did you see, I I forget what it, it might've been Ta-Nehisi Coates before he got off Twitter. I may be confusing with someone else, but he said, basically the country doesn't need another white politician showing up at the black church to say that racism is bad. The country needs a white politician going to white church and saying, we got a problem here with racism brothers. Right. Well, it's the same thing as all these people saying. Uh, you know, I, I have two two boys and a girl uh, as kids, not like locked in my room. Um, I mean, sometimes I lock them in the rooms, but the point is everybody Somebody's comes out. Somebody's got to mind that, Cole. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, the easy answer all the time is, oh, you hear about these terrible domestic abuse things or sexual abuse things and you go, I have daughters. I'm so upset by that. Oh, it's, it's like so disgusting. Yeah, yeah, no, but it's like, hey, man, what about your fucking sons? The, the daughters are not the problem. Right. The right, sons right. are the problems. Go teach them. You know, no, the whole idea that, you know, that Dick Cheney is incapable of empathy towards the LGBT community until his daughter comes out. Come on. Right. If that's really the case, you're not fit for public service. You're just not fit for public service. But but go to the go to the problem area, because this is the other side of the messenger is more important than the message. You know, uh, it's it's yeah. it's go go talk to the people that you can influence um, right. that are actually the ones that are the fucking problem. And that's uh, Brian and I are very aware that our podcast is two white guys yelling at the world, but we try to have a diverse crew so we can have people tell us we're wrong and and so we can influence those white guys that are hopefully for a short term still in the majority. And then was, was it, we're out of was here. Was it Jane Adams who said two white guys on the podcast can change the world because nothing else ever has? Uh, not so sure. We're going to check on that I'll one. I'll look into it. Yep. Brian's going to fact check that. Uh, Sean, this has been awesome. Uh, where can our listeners follow you guys online? Uh, Twitter is Sean Caston, S-E-A-N-C-A-S-T-E-N, has an at sign in front of it. Facebook okay. is castenforcongress.com. 
Awesome. And so do you tweet from the piano at 4 a.m. or is there another time and place where you do it? Yeah. When do we get to hear this? So I do all the tweeting. My campaign team is not always happy about that, (laughs) but that's that's me. And I'm not going to tell you what I'm wearing or where I'm sitting when that happens. (laughs) Okay, fair, fair, fair. Uh, You know, the other is more conventional communication channels. Sure. <laughs> right. Awesome. Hey, listen, Sean, we kept you way over our lot yeah, of time. Thank you very much. We had a great time and we thank really you guys. appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Uh, Brian's going to come knocking on doors real soon, maybe even yours. So apologies. He's, it's impossible. Oh, sorry. I don't have to knock on your door. You're the, you're the, got it. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, he's already on board. Hey, seriously. My the, wife, my wife could use some persuasion. So <laughs> lean on her a little. Oh, mine too. It's brother. really, it's been really fantastic talking to you, especially because you are running uh, where I am from. So thank you so much for doing what you're doing. And I will be sure to tell my friends who live and work uh, in your district to get off their asses and, and kick some awesome. ass for you. Thank, Thank you, you guys for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Good luck. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Go Cubs. Thanks to our incredible guest today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. (laughs) And you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks.